This morning, the thought that I have from the scriptures, and we're going to read this. I don't know if you've ever read, or has it been at any time or recently that you've read in the book of Esther. But that's a beautiful picture of what God does with the time that we that we are available and uh, to him that we give him that time and so we can see there's so much in the types here in the book of Esther so much in the types and uh, of course in this type Esther who's a woman uh, in the, in the sense that she is a receiver a, a responder and a receiver from proper initiation it's a picture of us as as the church the body of Christ in Ephesians 5:30 his bride in revelations the 19th chapter and the 7th and 9th verses where his his bride and uh Beautiful pictures here. But we see how God, if you read that story in the book of Esther, you read about what God was was saying, how he raised her up for a specific time. He gave her time uh, specifically for things. So we see that she was the queen, Esther was the queen. And we see that Haman, Haman in the book of Esther, he's a type of the flesh. And the flesh is that that always gets in the way uh, for the believer. The flesh uh, would always get in the way for the opportunities that God has given us through Christ to give us in time. And so we see here that he raised her up and the reasons why. We can see in the fourth chapter, in the fourth chapter of Esther, it says this, for if you all together, in the fourth chapter in the 14th verse, for if you all together hold your peace at this time, do you see what it says? At this time, then there will be, there'll be enlargement, okay? There'll be an enlargement a respiration or God breathing. So there will be this enlargement and deliverance. Notice that? There's times that God has for us, those times that he has for us, those opportunities of the time that we have for him. And we don't know. What what is promised to us is now. We don't know the future. And the future could be a few seconds, could be moments. It could be minutes. It could be hours months or years. But we know that here in this picture, it says that if you hold your peace at this time, there's going to, there's going to be a deliverance that's going to arise to the Jews, and notice this, from another place. So in other words, her, her obedience, her response to God at this particular time that he had called her was not only to deliver her, but a whole Jewish nation. There was a deliverance to arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed, and who knows whether you are come to the kingdom. Look what it says, for such a time as this. You know, God has such a time, specific times in the believer's lives, through the word, to deliver them to a proper experience in their lives, like he has for us. And so there's that whole story how Haman was, was talking to the king, and the king was a Hesiaris, and he was lying, and Haman is a type of the flesh. He was lying and doing all of these things to try and get the king to act in an evil and negative way against the Jews. And God rose up this woman, Esther. 
Now, we'll read the rest of it. In verse 15, it says, Then Esther Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer, and go therefore together. Notice that. Don't you love it when God's people go together? When God has selected specific times for them to come together and they actually go together because they have one mind and one thought. To have them go together, go, gather together all the Jews that are, what, present in Shoshan and fast you for me. That's what she's saying. See? Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for one another. Pray for me. Because God's called me up to do this certain thing. And it's about not just my deliverance. It's about the deliverance that God has for everyone as they go together. As they go together. And so she's asking for fasting and prayer. And that you fast you for me. Isn't that interesting? How prayer and fasting, when we get into God's presence, we lose ourselves, we think of him, and then instantly we're thinking of others. Fast for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. Three days. And number three, all through the scriptures, is very indicative of some incredible truths that we can see because you know, as we know through the scriptures in Matthew the 28th chapter and verses one through six and countless other ones all through the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in the, the book of John, how that Jesus was telling, taught his disciples, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to be raised again the third day. You see, there's deliverance There's deliverance through the word, through Christ, that he has for us. But it's at specific times. Specific times. See? And so when you fast, okay, when you're fasting, it's not about meeting your own need, your need for food and water. You're not thinking of yourself at this time. In Acts 6, verse 4, the leaders... And, and those leaders were to give themselves over to God for God to communicate in prayer the reality of the word that he would have, not just for him, but for those that would hear him. And so they weren't to do that. You see, fasting doesn't have anything to do with ourselves. That's Philippians 2.3. We esteem one another better than ourselves. Look at what you're going to see the place where Esther was putting herself as she obeyed God, that she needed prayer. Why? Why? Because she was putting herself in a place of danger. Pray fast for three days and three nights. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. I'm not asking you to do something I wouldn't do. I'm not asking you, she's saying, that not to do something that that God has not called me to do, Whatever God calls us to do is to do together. And there's going to be a deliverance. And I and my maidens also will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. If she wasn't called by the king, and she went there without a call, it was it was on the principle that she would be executed. There would be death. Oh, boy. Remember what Paul said when he was going to minister to the church, when he would minister in Acts 20, 24? He said, I don't count my own life, dear. Listen to what it says, unto myself. You see, as an individual and as we go together, our lives are not our own. We're to do it together. But Paul said, I don't count my own life dear unto myself. My life isn't just, just about me. The details of life, my own plans that aren't his, that aren't Christ, that don't involve it doing it together, that don't involve the local assembly. I'm going to 
God has allowed me to be in a place of danger because out of that, out of this place of danger and obedience, there's going to come a deliverance. The enemy's going to be revealed. The enemy, Haman, his lies. But the enemy's going to be revealed. And when that truth through the light of the word comes in obedience and the response of obedience, it's going to reveal the enemy and his plans for the believer. You know, the enemy has plans for us. That's why he keeps believers away from hearing the word. Everything under the sun, he'll do. Because he knows. He knows. The enemy knows in Revelation 12, 12, that he has but a short time. In other words, he knows. He only has a short time to do things in believers' lives to destroy to, to kill, steal, and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy their experience of this deliverance that God has for them in time. And she said, so I'm going to go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And look what she said. If I perish, I perish. God had to raise up one woman because she would obey. All the others were living in fear. Or living in self-occupation. Or living in their own plans and doing their own thing. But she said, if I perish, I perish. And so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded. You read the rest of that. Where she's facing Ahasuerus and his, his decree. We see, again, even in, in Esther, the ninth chapter, we see some incredible truths in, Ex, in, in Esther 8, I should say, I'm sorry, Esther 8 and verse 9, it says this, Then there were the king's scribes called, listen to what it says, at that time in the third month. In the third month. On, the, on 3 and 20, on the 23rd day, as it is written, to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to all those others. And you can read, the rest of that. But look what it says. By the time she comes in again, look what it says in Esther, the ninth chapter, in verse 27. The Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed, and listen to what it says here, and upon all such as join themselves unto them. Isn't that interesting? This here is revealing the principle of oneness. The principle of oneness of believers is not having anything separate in them. They don't have separate plans. They don't do separate things apart from the body of Christ, apart from the local assembly. We see that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. You can see that in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. The teaching and how it proceeds in Ephesians 4, 11, so that they can do the work of the ministry in 4.12 and 13 and 14 and not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but speak the truth in love with each other. No separation. And so they join themselves in Esther 9, verse 27, they join themselves unto them so as it should not fail. Isn't that interesting? He won't fail. In other words, when two, and that's why it says, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And who is Jesus? And who, he's God. And who is God? God is love. And there's no distance between the two. They don't have different thoughts, different plans. They're joined together. They're joined together. And so in that, nothing can fail that they would keep these two days. Isn't that interesting, these two days? Do you know, even in the scriptures, the two, two can mean separation in a good sense, being separated to God through being one, or in an evil sense, being separated. Having my own plans, my own desires. That they would keep these two days according to their writings, the word. 
And according to their, listen to what it says, their appointed time every year. They did it like just clockwork. They did it all the time. That's why as best as we can here, as best as we can, and, and as long as I, if, if you never hear, hey, this is canceled, you'll know. You'll, you'll know this, that we still have Tuesdays at 7, Fridays at 7 in the mornings. We have Wednesdays with the men now, again, doing it again tomorrow. Wednesdays at 8 for the men. We have Wednesday nights at 7. We have Thursdays. Uh, we have Fridays again, like I said, at 7. Time of prayer for whosoever will on Saturday, whosoever will. And then on Sundays, we meet at 10. Why? We do this. Why? Because there's a time in a local assembly for the word to be taught, for people to be delivered, and honestly, not only to be delivered with what they're struggling with, but to be delivered from the plans of the enemy, like Haman trying to come against the Jews in, in secrecy, trying to get others to go against them the Jews, trying to get others to go against them for deliverance constantly. He's not only delivering us from what we're aware of in our struggles, but even the deliverance has to do with the potential of what the enemy would do, which we're not even aware of. And that's why God even had to give an apostle who he gave all the revelations of the church truth that we have in those epistles. And 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, had to give him a thorn. Not because Paul was living in the flesh, but he knew not just the flesh that was potential for Paul to live in as a believer in Christ, but also, also, he knew what the enemy would do with Paul in that potential that even Paul and his apostle would be ignorant of. And boy, the enemy plays on our ignorance. But you know what he plays on much more than anything else? That's why it says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, <laughs> do you think that God is okay with just sacrifice and not obedience? I'm going to sacrifice. I'm not going to obey God in certain areas, but in other areas, I'm going, to, I'm going to sacrifice. Yeah, to cover the areas of the disobedience. Right? God does not want sacrifice. He wants obedience. Right? Because if I don't live in obedience, it's a matter of two things. It's rebellion and stubbornness in 1 Samuel 15, 23. And that should be a person's rebellion and stubbornness and even ignorance in a local assembly should be the reason that the pastor shouldn't teach those things anymore. <laughs> Much more. Do you know why? Because that's why Paul said that was committed unto him in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. The charge to teach, to preach the word. God had to raise up a woman. He had to raise up a woman because men wouldn't function here properly. <laughs> yeah, that's what he had to do. But in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, the Holy Spirit said, Paul, Paul, yes, this is where you are. I'm raised you up for this time, for this time. Because I've placed before you a great and open and effectual door. It's effectual because God opened it. And then what? There are many what? Adversaries. The many adversaries, the many adversaries would be the reason that Paul should stop, right? Preaching the word. Should that be the reason? Or should it be our reason? Why does Jesus say in Matthew 7, 13, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go there. But narrow is the way, and 714 is the way, and few that go through that way, and that's the way of life. Just because it's the few, and God's spoken obedience, should I go with the others, the mass? Should I go with the majority? It's always a minority. 
But when you're a minority and here's one woman in, o, operating in obedience and delivering a whole nation, <laughs> you know, just like, just like Abraham, one man obeys. Did it, what kind of an effect did his obedience have? Out of him could come a whole nation. What can one person do in obedience? What can they do? Well, again, it was every time. Every single time. How important is time? How important is it should we, that we should come and hear the word when we can? There are going to be times, obviously, that God knows when we can't. Those aren't the issues. The issue that God would have with us would be the, the times when we know that we should, but we don't. And that falls under, honestly, for any of us, in James 4 and verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is what? Sin. And what is disobedience? It's sin. That's what it is. And what is sin? In Psalm 51 verse 4, what is it? It's evil. That's what it is. Why did Jesus say this in John, the 12th chapter? And you will see how God, again, if you read the book of Esther, if you, if you, you know, if you haven't in a while, it had been a while since I had. But when you read that, you watch how not only Esther, but all those Jews were delivered from the enemy. And what that enemy desired to do to the Jews was done to him. And they were delivered. John, the 12th chapter. Verse 31 says this, now is the judgment of this world, you know. Now is the judgment of this world. You know, the world's already judged every single thing about it. There's not one single thing about the world that God, through the cross of Jesus Christ, is brought out in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, God forbid that I should glory. You know, when we don't submit to Christ, and his glory isn't manifested into us, it's because we have some kind of glory we're still attached to in the world. Galatians 6, 14 says, God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom the whole world is crucified unto me. Did you know that the fact that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was a finished truth that the whole world system was judged? The proof of it is Acts 17 and verse 31. The proof of the resurrection is, number one, that there's no judgment for us at all because Christ took it. But it is coming for the world. There's no question about it. Christian goes back to the world. 1 John 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Oh, in this little area, it's okay if I live in the world. Well, you know, not for any of us. Is it okay with God? Because we're not an earthly people right now. And on this earth right now, it's Satan's kingdom. That's John 12, 31. That's John 14, 30. That's where we used to walk in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We used to walk according to the prince and power of the air, who would actuate all those lust patterns in us. Flesh that's still in the Christian but that we're not of. And you can read that in Romans, the 8th chapter, in verses 4 through eight. We're not in that. There isn't any condemnation for us. Where does the Christian experience condemnation? It's in the flesh. They live self-condemned because God's not condemning the Christian. When I don't obey God, he's not condemning me, but I live in a self-condemned condition. Why? Because my will's not given over. You see, Esther gave her will over to God in obedience. Not only was she delivered, and Mordecai, and all the Jews, they were all delivered because of her obedience. What can my obedience do? What can the obedience of a husband and a family do? What can that obedience in a wife, as she submits to the husband in that order, what can that do? Well, it'll bring peace in the home. It'll bring peace, freedom, freedom. Jesus said, in John 12, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the prince of this world be cast out. Now, he was already cast out 
the moment he fell in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and, start, and starting in the 15th verse, which is brought out in, in Revelations 12, verse 4. We see it clearly there. He was cast out as he took a third of the stars of those angels, a third of an innumerable host, and he was cast out. And verse 32, and it says, And I, if I be lifted up, do you see? Esther wasn't lifting up herself. She wasn't. She, in her obedience, lifted up God. Jesus said, If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Some think that they can function apart from a local assembly and God will still use them somewhere else. Live in disobedience. Come, hear the word. Get your counsel. 12 and verse 32, here we have. This he said signifying what death he, he would die. The people answered him, we have heard of the law that Christ abides forever. And how do you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? Oh, God. Then Jesus said unto them, look at what it says, yet a little while. Does that deal with time? Yet a little while is the light with you the counsel you need, the very counsel that you need that will do away with all your foolish questions. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 23, because you're going to come and you're going to hear the servant of the Lord and he's going to teach you in 2.24 to teach you the truth in 2.25 so that you no longer live in disobedience and oppose yourself in that disobedience. And the disobedience that the believer lives in is the fact that they're taken captive by Satan's will because their will hasn't been submitted to Christ. And that's all about the teaching we've had here about yokes and how necessary they are. So yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light. Walk while you have the light lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in the darkness of his own will in disobedience, you know, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what be. I, don't, I know what's right. I don't care. Oh, wow. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes, but I guarantee you the enemy knows where he's leading you. And I guarantee you God does. And he guarantees it through the preaching of his word. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, how will they hear in verse 14 without a preacher? And faith comes by hearing. Not just hearing it and being able to declare it, but submitting to it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That speaks of submission. So hearing here is not just listening to it, but submitting to it and functioning properly in your proper place in a local assembly. You don't listen to others that speak against the oneness of the local assembly. You just don't do that. Not if you're obedient. Not if you think more of not offending Christ and less about, well, I know this is wrong what they're doing, but I don't want to offend them, really. Maybe you could be the one that in love, though, without judgment and accusation, could be the one to tell them the truth. Maybe you wouldn't fear that maybe because they're your friend and you tell them the truth, that they might not be your friend anymore. Well, were they ever then? <laughs> were they ever really one? Verse 36 of John 12. While you have the light, Believe in the light, receive it and submit to it that you may be what? The children of light. The children of light. These things spoke Jesus and departed. Why did he depart? And why did he hide himself from them? I'll tell you why. Because God hides himself from the pride of men. 
God hides himself from the pride of the Christian whose will's not submitted to him. God calls people to a local assembly. He calls them because he knows their capacity. To know our capacity, he hasn't left that up to us. The call is the indication that God himself, that God himself knows the capacity. Himself. And when he does that, the believer, when they're submitted, never listens to the lie. This is too much. This is too deep. Never. Can you imagine if Esther had done that? Can you imagine if she lived in, God told her, raised her up to do something in obedience, and can you imagine if she didn't? What if she feared Haman more? What if she feared the king more than the obedience that God told her to do? And just submit it. Huh. Well, what would have been lost? What is lost in our experience through a lack of our obedience, through a lack of submitting our will? We really need to know when, where, and we need to know who we should be with, when we should be with them, and the reason even why we're being with them. And we need to know when something is being spoken to us. We need to know that is, is it corrupt communication? In Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Is what I'm listening to, is it about Christ? Is it? Well, if it isn't, should I be listening to it? I don't care who it is. Doesn't matter who it is. Should I be listening to it? You know, friends, I don't know what it takes. We have, listen, we're called to a local assembly. We don't go off and do our own plans. We just don't. That's not how God does it today, folks. We are in the dispensation of grace, the church age. The church is one body, but made up of many local assemblies. You don't just go here and there. You don't just go listening to this one and that one and here and there and everywhere. You don't do that. That's why, honestly, that's why we have the word. That's why a pastor, Mike Fenton, has said, listen, you know, I need every Monday. Furthermore, I want to do Wednesdays. And if it's just you and I, we'll do it. But you know, in Revelations 22, verse 16 and 17, you know, 17, He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, in 22.16 of Revelations. And whosoever will may come freely and drink the water of, of life. Freely, the word. Whosoever will. Whosoever's will submitted will drink of it. He said this in John chapter 13. And verse 31, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will straightway glorify him. Do you hear this? This is, this is the Son being glorified. Did you know every time the word is preached, the Son is glorified, and all those whose wills are submitted are blessed by the fact that Christ is glorified? That has to do with Christ. Then it's the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27. Look what it says in John 13.32. If God be glorified in him, he will be. Look what it says in verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Yet a little while am I with you. You will seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, what he was saying here is obviously where only he could go, and that was to the cross. That was the only place he could go. That's why he told Peter, you know, I'm going to go to a place where you can't go right now, but you will based upon what I've, what I've accomplished. And he said, so now, but a new commandment I give unto you that you love, what? One another. Is there any separation in love? As I have loved you, 
that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you truly are being taught. You're truly my disciples. You're truly one with what I taught and who I am and what I give you. If you have love one for another. That's why Peter said unto him in verse 36, Lord, where do you go? Jesus answered, where I'm going right now, you can't come. You can't follow me right now. You can't right now. You can't do that right now. You can't now, but you will follow me afterwards. You know, we have the opportunity to continue to follow him right now. Time. Time. What would it be like if we as Christians, if we as Christians, when we would come to hear the word, how should we come to hear the word? How should we do that? Well, Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, makes it very, very clear. In verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 5, it says, keep your foot when you go to the house of God. And you know what that means? It says, make sure before you come that you're guarding your walk. Make sure you're one experientially in your walk with God and you've dealt with every area that would interfere with fellowship with him. Every area of sin, you would deal with it. So that when you do come to the house of God, look what it says. You're going to be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. <laughs> the sacrifice of fools. How should I come? When I come to hear the word of God, is the word of God sacred? How should I come? Should I come laughing, giggling, joking? Well, Ephesians 5 one through four brings out, listen, you ought to walk in love. That'll do away with all foolishness. When we come to hear the word of God, and we're all growing in that, nevertheless, we still need to be taught that. Keep your foot when you go to the house of God. Be more ready to hear and submit to, than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Is that evil? Not to submit? Will evil affect me in my walk if I'm not submitted to him? Be not rash with your mouth. In other words, don't just speak about anything. And let not your heart, your mind, be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and you're upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be what? Few. Let them be few. You go. You come to hear the word, be quiet. Be more ready to hear. Because the light's going to come. And it's going to deliver you, not only from the struggles that you're struggling with, but even that that you're not aware of. It can be because of the time. And that's why as we close this morning, that's why again and again and again, again, Esther didn't consider her own life dear unto herself. She put herself in the place of death. Death to what? The flesh. Her own decisions. And she lived in obedience to God. And that's what Paul was constantly being taught and what he constantly did in Acts, the 20th chapter, and you can read in 24, the 32. Did you know that? You know, in any local assembly, in a local assembly, even where two or three are gathered together in his name in Matthew 18, 20. Look at what it says. Paul said, as we wrap this up in Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me. All those adversaries, all those things that were coming against him. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom, there's going to come a time when you won't see my face anymore. We don't know how much we have or how much time we have with each other. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. In other words, I'm not, I did what God called me to do. I preached the word and I'm free from guiltiness. Verse 27, for I have not shunned, I have not kept back to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 28, therefore, with that counsel that I've given, take heed, therefore, unto yourself. And when you do, it'll affect, it'll affect all the flock, the local assembly. My obedience will affect 
and have a beautiful, positive effect on that whole local assembly. My disobedience will have the reverse. Why? Because in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ has come that we might have life, an abundant life. So take heed, therefore, unto yourself and all the flock, over which the Holy Spirit has made you to be overseers. To what? To feed the church of God. This is pastor teachers. To do what? I'm not to count my life dear unto myself. All the adversaries that come against continually. I'm not to do that. Why? I'm not to count my life dear unto myself. Why? Because my life's not my own. Christ is my life in Colossians 3, 3 and 4. To feed the church of God, the greatest expression of love that a pastor can have for those that are in that local assembly is to feed the church of God, which he, Christ, his his own self, has purchased with his own blood. Why? Because this is why. For I know this, that after my departing, You know, after people leave here and go their own way and go and get into the world and get with others, you know what can happen? That after my departing will grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing your flock. Look what it says in verse 30. Also of your own selves will men arise. They'll promote themselves. They'll give you some counsel. (laughs) They'll be able to counsel your life when they don't even have a control of their own life but they're going to counsel you. Men will arise speaking perverse things. Why? They weren't sent by God. They're going to speak perverse things. Why? To draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, this is Christ, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all those that are sanctified. And as we say, wrapping it up, I think this is the third time, so it's going to be three strikes and I'll be out. In 1 Corinthians 7, 29, I want husbands. I would love husbands in our local assembly. And thank God we have one here to hear. (laughs) 1 Corinthians, read 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, even about marriage and how you should operate in it too, by the way. But here's 1 Corinthians 7, 29. But this I say, brethren, what? The time is short. The time is shortened. It remains that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Is that saying to disregard the wife? No. But it's not to allow the wife to be the one that initiates in the marriage. Because if the husband is submitted to Christ, he will love, he needs to be submitted to Christ first. So that even he and even the wife knows where proper desire comes from. And so in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's what this verse is saying. Be as though they had none, is to live in proper order. Why? Because the time's short. What should your life be? What should my life be? right now. If the time was short, and this is the church that he's talking to, back in his day, the Apostle Paul, how short is it in ours? And they that weep as though they wept not, as they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. (laughs) There's one that can occupy Christians. (laughs) Whatever they can buy and possess. Boy, when, it's, when we're not submitted to Christ, even what we buy possesses us. Christ doesn't. And they that use this world, the things in it, is not abusing it. It's not being abused by it. One of the apostles said, through the Holy Spirit through him in 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not operating as a principle and a guide in their life. Believers. For the fashion of this world is, oh boy, there's another one, how we should dress. <laughs> That's interesting. For the fashion of this world passes away, but I, but, separate, I would have you without anxiety and carefulness for all these things. For he that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. That's how husbands should live. Because if I please the Lord, 
I'm going to know how to properly, in headship, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, how to please my wife properly. See, there's, there's a proper way of doing that. You don't get away from a local assembly and, and away from that and disobedience, away from the word. And now I have counsel, I think, as I had. And honey, what do you think? Well, I'll do whatever you say, honey. <laughs> oh, God, help us. Lord Jesus, help us. Lord, help us. And then finally in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. You will notice, look at the order of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Please start at verse 1, and on your own, because we won't have the time this morning. It's 7.51, and we have to stop very soon. But look at the whole order, even of the epistle of Ephesians. Read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, local assembly, and then chapter 5, how to function in that local assembly, and the local assembly being made up of husbands and wives. By the time you're in the sixth chapter, it's children, how to function as a local assembly. Look at, start at verse, five, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, and look what it says. Look what it says. Remember how Jesus talked about the light? This is what he said in verse 6. I'm just going to read it and we'll stop. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Any man. I don't care if it's a Christian or not. Don't you let any man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience is unbelief. Yeah, I know it's true, but I'm not going to give myself over to it. Be not you therefore partakers with them. Uh, Boy, oh boy. For you were sometimes darkness. What you're listening to is darkness. But now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Remember what Jesus was saying in John 12, 35 and 36? Talking about light. Remember in 13, 31, 32, light. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord, walk as children of the light. Through the preaching and teaching of the word in the local assembly, you'll get that light, know how to walk, and who you should even walk with. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness, the works of darkness. Rather, Reprove them. No, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Nah, I don't think I should do that. They might not be my friend anymore. You want those kind of friends. Rather reprove them. Put that word up, reprove, rebuke them. That's right, rebuke them. For, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Hey, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. I don't want to, t- I, I couldn't tell you in front of this person, but I know you, I, I trust you, I can tell you these things. <laughs> oh, oh boy. But all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. For whoso, whatsoever does make fan- manifest is life. Wherefore he says, awake you out of that kind of sleep, that kind of phony fellowship, and arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. Then you'll see that you can work, walk circumspectly, not as fools, self-confident, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Notice that? And that's it. And then the light, the last light verse will talk. Still only 754. We're doing good. We're doing really good here. A few hours of the week that we're given to God. As much as we can. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the whole world, the whole mass of humanity, that for the whole world he gave. And that's what love does, it gives. His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish. And perish there is not death and extinction, living without him forever somewhere, but have eternal life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned. Listen, folks, for us as Christians, when we submit to the word, we experience his love, and in that love in Christ, there's no condemnation in Romans 8.1. But when I live experientially in disobedience, is there condemnation? Then I want to get you and fellowship with you and tell you how I'm being condemned. <laughs> oh. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not, lack of submission, is condemned already because he has what? He has not believed in the nature, character, and essence, the word of God, that is only the begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. You know, it's not that person's fault. The one that they're telling you about, that they, you know, the one they're telling you they don't understand. <laughs> This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, come right into their little world. And, but you know what? Men love darkness rather than the light. Because why? The deeds were evil. And everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know why you don't want to come? You know why we wouldn't want to come to hear the word? Hmm? It's because areas of our life are going to be revealed, and I kind of like those for now. But, you know, I will in the future get right, but God's going to give me the grace that I know I should do right now. And God will give me grace to live in sin in Romans 6, 1 and 15? No. But he that does truth, he that the truth is active in their experience, keeps coming to the light that his deeds may be manifest, that it was God that was doing it in him. Boy, we need to know the time is so short. And so what if it's two or three? So what? So what if it is? By the end of Jesus' life, who stood with him? In Matthew 26, 56, they all forsook him. Paul, at the end of his life, they all forsook him in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. But the Lord stood with him. You, in obedience to God, if you're one person, you're not a minority, you're a majority, because you have everything in Christ. And thank God for it. I am thankful to God for the few that I have in my life that are obedient to God. You know why? Because they receive his love, and then they love others. And there's a bond that's unbreakable, and it's all by the light. We're not children of love. We're children of light. God is love. And Jesus came out as the light in John 8, 12, and in John 1, 5, and 1 John 1, 5. We are children of the light in Ephesians 5, verse 8, and 1 Thessalonians 5, and verse 5. So thank you, Father, for your precious word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.